today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan. I'm publishing our first episode of our new YouTube show called Ask Dr. Susan Live that you can find on my YouTube channel, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith, or through my website, drsusan.com, D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Ask Dr. Susan Live. So those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Susan Hardwick-Smith. I'm a medical doctor. I'm a gynecologist. Used to be an obstetrician, but I gave up delivering babies some years ago. I specialize in midlife wellness for women, also sexual wellness and hormonal balance. And one of the things that I find is women have so many questions around this amazing time of life. I'm 54 years old. I went through menopause around 46, 47. And there are so many questions that we have that are not answered by our regular physicians. It's really difficult to get good information online. I remember growing up, we had the Dr. Ruth show where you could ask anything that you wanted about sex and other similar type shows in that radio format. And then I found there's a little bit of uh, loss of connectivity that goes along with just asking questions, maybe through a Facebook platform where you just type in the questions and you're, we're not hearing your voice. So I thought it'd be fun to have a show where you can call in and actually ask a question in your own voice live. And then I'm going to do the best I can to answer it. Um, now, if you want to ask a question in the future for a future show, you can go to drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com slash ask, A-S-K, drsusan.com slash ask. You can submit a question and then we'll email you. And if you have a question that we want to use on the show and you're available to have a quick phone call, then you can ask me a question live. And I remember when I was young watching Dr. Ruth and shows like that, it's so fascinating to hear what other people have to ask. And it's really an act of generosity to ask a question. It's brave. So ask a question because chances are so many other people have the same question. If you have a question about menopause, about midlife, about sexuality, about hormones, about anything to do with this amazing time of life, I guarantee you thousands, millions of other people have the same question. So if you want to be brave enough to ask it, then I'll answer it. And you might just want to listen to the show. That's cool. Or you may want to participate in the show by asking a question. But either way, we want to start a conversation so we can actually talk in our own voices. And of course, we're going to keep your name anonymous because you might be talking about some pretty personal stuff. So we'll change your name. That's cool. But uh, you can call in and I will do the best I can to answer your question. So if you want to know about me, you can learn about me at drsusan.com, drsusan.com. Uh, you can read all my fancy credentials and all of that stuff. But um, I'm an expert in midlife wellness, sexual wellness for women over 40, hormone replacement, anything to do with those things. So that being said... Uh, we have some really good questions that were submitted this week for the show. And our first question is from Lisa. So we're going to get Lisa on the phone and she can ask her question. And let's see how that goes. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Dr. Susan. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited. You are the inaugural person to ask a question on Ask Dr. Susan Live. So welcome. Really? Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you very much. That's an honor. I appreciate it. I know. So, so what can I, what can I help you with? What's your question? So my question is, 
can a several years postmenopausal woman start to receive hormone replacement therapy? Mm-hmm. And I ask this because I've dealt with poor sleep issues for, for many years. And my prior GP told me at the time when I was premenopausal that it was probably hormones and that after menopause was over, I should go back to sleeping better. Well, flash forward, I'm now several years postmenopause and I'm still sleeping poorly. Plus, I now have a few other issues like usual mood swings, brain fog, weight gain. I recently mm-hmm. went to my OBGYN. And after running several tests to rule out other possible problems, she said that I am not a candidate for HRT as I've been postmenopausal for several years. And she told me that at this point, my body is used to not having those hormones in my system and that to add them back in now would wreak havoc on my system and also possibly give me life-threatening blood clots. So she referred me to a sleep specialist for the sleep issues. And then she kind of shrugged about the other issues and suggested taking a good multivitamin and I should eat fewer carbs. So, Ouch. I mean, if all of this is true, I know. Yeah. So is there anything I can do? Yeah. Wow. That is a great question. I'm so glad you asked it because that highlights so many different misconceptions about hormone replacement. Uh, so first of all, you can feel so much better. When when I was going through menopause myself, the worst symptom that I had, and I, believe me, there was a whole bunch, but I think the very top of the list was the insomnia. It's horrible, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know, when, yeah, when you can't sleep, especially for night after night, I mean, one night's one thing, but if this is a prolonged thing, um, t- what was your sleep pattern? Mine was I would go to sleep and then I'd wake up two hours later. It was terrible. That's, that's pretty much exactly it. And, and I wake up two hours later and some nights I'm awake, like from one thirty to four thirty at night, like solid, just slipping and flopping in bed, like a fish Miserable. and other nights I would fall back asleep. I guess never really a heavy sleep, but I would fall back asleep, wake up, fall back asleep, wake up. Yeah. And that's, um, that's just I, I've, horrible. I've kind of done both. Oh, I feel my heart goes out to you because I had this too. <laughs> and uh, that is the typical menopause, perimenopause sleep pattern, we fall asleep because we're just so exhausted. And then we wake up. I would, I remember waking up and I'd look at the clock and I'd say, please God, let it be at least five o'clock. And it was like one thirty, and I would just want to cry like, oh my God, I can't do this again. And I would actually get up and because I knew I couldn't go back to sleep. I'd work for a while or whatever, read a book, something. And then I'd finally fall into a deep sleep. And then seems like 30 minutes later, my alarm would go off. This is miserable. So, yeah, you and I are living the same life. <laughs> right. So you know what's interesting is that 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 story I hear every single day in my practice because that's the really typical menopause, perimenopause sleep pattern. And what's also interesting about that is that's a similar pattern to what we see with depression. And I've seen so many times patients will go to their doctor and I'll describe this, you know, waking up early, you know, waking up early in the morning and then they're given an antidepressant, which makes their symptoms worse. Well, that's another story. Right. But regarding hormone replacement, yes, if, if we develop insomnia from 45 to 55 or around the time of menopause, absolutely for sure. And part of it, if not all, has to do with hormonal change. And the hormone that is most responsible for sleep, well, all, all three, let's say the three, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all three of them play a part in sleep. The one that seems to be the most uh, relevant for sleep is progesterone which we stop producing as soon as we stop ovulating. So our progesterone goes to zero, literally. Uh, So we see mood changes, uh, sleep problems. 
I don't know if you had this, but you know, the classic hot flashes, night sweats, that keeps you awake too, right? I mean. Right, right. I, I didn't have so many hot flashes, but the night sweats I had. Oh, right. You wake up feeling Definitely. like you've been in the shower and then you're freezing cold yes. <laughs> and then you've got to sleep on a towel or sleep in the guest room or whatever, right? Yep. I mean, that's going to disrupt <laughs> sleep. So we've got dropping progesterone, which just upsets our sleep center, period. And then we've got waking up at night, all kinds of temperature changes. That disrupts our sleep. So this isn't a small thing. Um, so, you know, we really have to take that seriously. So, yes, I'm, my heart goes out to you because I had that too and, and all of the things that go right. along with menopause. So your question is really pertaining to this thing that I hear and I, I'm struggling not to feel angry at uh, providers who say this information because it really is just not true um, that you cannot take hormones after make up a number x number of years Um, you know some providers might say well you can't take hormones because you have been menopausal for five years or you can't take hormones after age 60 or any variation of that and none of those are based in any science uh, so you might remember in 2002, which was almost 20 years ago, this was 19 years ago, the Women's Health Initiative study. Do you remember when that came out and it was on the news and it said, okay, everyone stop taking hormones because they cause cancer and blood clot and all this stuff? Yes. Yeah, right. It was a tragedy. Unfortunately, that study was stopped too soon. Even the authors have admitted this now, that the problems were very, very few, and they uh, were related to things that we've since changed. So that's a bigger right, a bigger conversation. But suffice to say, since then, uh, we've learned that all of the issues that we were worried about with the Women's Health Initiative study are not an issue for the way hormones are given right now. For example, the idea that hormones increase the risk of blood clot, heart disease, and stroke that is only true. First of all, we're not talking about all hormones. This was just estrogen, premarin, actually, which is horse urine, not bioidentical estrogen. But when you give any kind mm-hmm. of estrogen by mouth, it does actually increase the risk of blood clot, heart disease, stroke a teeny tiny bit. I mean, it was a very small amount, but we don't want to mess with that. So clearly we want to avoid that. Uh, okay. One of the things that was found in that study was that the risk went up the longer you took it. The other thing is many, many, many things about that study that are complicated and hard to uh, make sense of. But another thing is that the average age person in that study was 65, average age. So they they weren't mostly women who were 45 to 50 who were starting to struggle with the symptoms that we have. They also took all comers to that study, um, smokers, people who'd had a heart attack before, you know, obese women, all kinds of women. So, so they were looking at people who were not necessarily like you. And so all that being right. said, as a result of that study, there were some kind of urban legends that got circulated, like you have to stop it after X number of years, or you can't take it when you've been in menopause for so many years. And this was all just ideas that came out of this Women's Health Initiative study because we were you know, trying to be cautious and like, oh gosh, maybe there are risks we should think really carefully about right. giving people hormones. And so people learned this and they passed it down. And so the the PA or nurse practitioner that you mentioned that you said saw, I'm sorry, uh, you saw and she passed on this information that she had learned from somewhere else. <laughs> <You> know, right. <laughs> it's not based on any science. And so 
without being, uh, you know, bitchy or uh, aggressive, I kind of wish I could just ask her, hey, so what, what is the evidence that you are using to make that statement that I can't take hormones after X number of years? And she would say, I don't know, because there isn't any. So, oh, um, see, I never thought to ask that question. Well, of course, I, I like, mean, oh, you don't. Okay. You were yeah. my last hope. <laughs> right. But we, you know, so we're, we don't ask those questions, do we? Because we're, we're, we're good people and we're trained to think, think whatever our doctors say is true. Right. I was brought up that way. Your right. priest or doctor says something and you believe it. Right. You don't question. Exactly. Um, but in fact, regarding hormones, uh, unfortunately, we do kind of have to question and really advocate uh, for ourselves and, and ask those questions. Um, so long story short, that's a really good question. And there's no age at which you cannot start taking hormone replacement. So I went to a real life medical school. I'm an MD. I went to Baylor College of Medicine. It's, you know, we practice evidence-based medicine. And based on all of the science that's out there and have been gajillions of studies done since the Women's Health Initiative study, there's no evidence that, that it's harmful to start hormones at any age, you know, with a few exceptions. For example, if you actively have breast cancer currently or something like that. Right. Um, and you can still benefit. In fact, um, one of my colleagues, uh, Johnny Pete, and I did a podcast a few months ago, and I love what he said, which is, I'm, he said, I'm not worried about the risks of taking hormones. I'm worried about the risks of not taking hormones which is so okay. relevant because we know that hormone replacement, first of all, it makes you sleep better and then you feel better and that's great. That's really great. Right. Kind of a cascading thing. You know? Yeah. It would help so many other things. Oh, I mean, your relationships, your ability to concentrate at work, your safety driving a car. I mean, when I was not sleeping, I probably shouldn't have been given the car keys, let alone being operating <laughs> no. on people. I mean, seriously, our I minds know. don't work. But um, possibly... Wait. As important, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want you to be a really healthy 85-year-old, 95-year-old. So we know that hormone replacement decreases the risk of things like Alzheimer's disease and colon cancer and testosterone even decreases the risk of breast cancer, which is super cool, and uh, hip fracture. And so these are really important things. And so telling someone they can't take hormones because of a reason that's not scientifically true is a real disservice right. to you. Well, so. and, and I, you wonder because, you know, we're born with these hormones and we have these hormones through life and then you, you reach a certain age and then all of a sudden these hormones are gone. It's like, well, how does your body know how to function properly without them? That's, that's I, I don't, a really I good never question. never understood that. I don't either. So I often, I tell right. my patients all the time and we're so much more complex than a car, but if you had a Ferrari jet plane. I don't know. Think of the most complex machine yeah. you can think of. And you didn't put oil in it. It's not going to zip around the track like it used to. It's going to put put along. So we can survive without these hormones. Now we do develop a lot more illnesses as we get older, but it's not thriving. Right. You know, things like not sleeping exactly. and yeah, not feeling good. I mean, these are critical to thriving. And we live in this amazing age where we can thrive now, feel good. So absolutely, you can take hormone replacement. Uh, so the, the few oh. little rules around, you know, loosely called rules around hormone replacement is uh, what we've learned from all these studies is it's not wise to take estrogen and testosterone by mouth because that affects blood clotting because it goes through your liver. Well, you can bypass that easily by using creams, patches, pellets. So check that box. 
And it's okay. it's absolutely fine to take progesterone, which is an important other hormone that really helps with sleep. You can take that by mouth. In fact, you can get it from Walgreens, CVS. Um, what part of the country are you in? We're, we're in Houston. I live on the East Coast. I'm in the Mid-Atlantic in Maryland. So in Maryland, I don't know. Do you have Walgreens, CVS? What your favorite pharmacy? Yeah. They they have progesterone, uh, you know, plant based bioidentical progesterone. You can get it from any pharmacy. Uh, I take mine at night. I call it my nighttime vitamin. If if you had told me five years ago that I could sleep for eight hours every night, I would have said you're crazy. Like I, that's not going to happen. But I actually do yeah. now, and then that changes your whole life in a really good way. Apart from all the things we talked about. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> oh, I couldn't either. So this is really cool. And many people don't know, I didn't, that when you sleep well, um, you know, exceptions, obviously, your cortisol goes down, which is a stress hormone that has lots of really unpleasant effects on our body uh, long term, including mm -hmm. making us get fat around the middle. So, right. I mean, it's just there's so many things that happen. I like just to think that insomnia could cause us to get fat around the middle. You, 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 that's a that's a big enough one just on its own. Yeah, you know the um, our bodies are so you know it's such a fine tuned machine as you were you were saying, and it it just takes one thing to throw everything out of whack, and then it does. You said it's a cascading thing. The dominoes start falling, and one thing's affected, then another thing's affected, and another thing's affected, and um. I do. I agree. I mean, you know, I'm in my fifties. I hopefully have, you know, at least 30 years to go. I don't want to just be surviving and plodding through the day. I want to be thriving and have the energy and excitement and, and, you know, everything that I used to be like, right. I'd like to still be. <laughs> well, I want that for you too. And the good news is you can absolutely do that. Um, we just have to unfortunately be advocates for ourselves. And when we hear something that doesn't sound right, Sometimes we have to find another provider. I mean, they're doing the best they can. They're working from what they knew and the education they right. were given, which unfortunately is very little. Um, we, we, we say what was passed down to us from another person and another person, but very few people stop and kind of go, wait, wait a second, what's the science behind this and what's really the latest thing so that we can help our uh, patients and friends and mothers and daughters in the future to live happy, healthy lives. And right. so- that is a great question. I'm so glad you answered, you asked it because this is something that everybody wants to know. So I hope okay, you can well, get you. on some hormones and sleep like a baby and then have a great <laughs> sex life and healthy bones and all the great things that happen. Well, thank you. You've given me a lot. I've written down a whole bunch of notes here. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to listen to my question and answer it because you've you've given me a lot of good meaty things here. Well, I, and, we're um, super grateful. And if you have another question that you think of, you know how to ask it, you can go to drsusan.com slash ask, and then we'll just keep talking and maybe I'll get to talk to you okay. again soon. Thanks, Lisa. Sounds wonderful, Dr. Susan. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. You too. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah. So, okay. That was a great question. Um, so many questions about hormone replacement. That's the huge field of lack of knowledge. So if you have questions about hormone replacement, and sometimes it's things that your doctors told you or your mothers told you, or your friends have told you. If I went online and tried to figure out hormone replacement, I would be lost. So asking our patients to do that is, is impossible. You've got jobs and, and lives, but this is my job and I don't have anything else to do except learn about hormone replacement. So 
chances are I might know more than some people, but honestly, I don't know much about anything else. So, um, to outside of gynecology. So let's try a different question. We have Aaron on the line, I think. Um, Aaron, hi, are you there? Hi. Hi, Dr. Susan. Hi, how are you? Well, thanks for joining us. You're, um, I told our first uh, guest who asked a question, she was our inaugural person to ask a question on Ask Dr. Susan Live, and you are the second one. Congratulations. <laughs> Welcome awesome, to the show. Awesome. So what's your question well, first, today? Yes. First, thank you for trailblazing this path for us women in midlife, and thank you for taking my question. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad you mm-hmm. asked it. My question is concerning hormones and hair loss. Ah, I, that's a big one. I, I am 44 years old and have started hormone therapy due to extremely low energy. I first started NP thyroid because at the time, my thyroid blood indicators were low normal. After starting the NP thyroid, I noticed quite a bit of hair thinning within about three months, and then that continued on. After about a year, I discontinued the thyroid therapy because I didn't feel that it was helping my energy level and I was concerned with the hair thinning. My hair pretty much went back to normal. My very low energy level continued though. Mm. And about nine months later, my doctor restarted the NP thyroid and also added a testosterone cream and progesterone therapy. My energy is really good now, which I'm super thankful for, but my hair is thinning even worse than before. Mm. So I'm just kind of at a loss at what to do because I'm worried that the thyroid and the testosterone might be causing this, but I don't want to trade off my energy level. (laughs) Oh, that's such a, that's a tough question. You know, that really points to, so 44, I'm just going to say, and I don't know your whole history, but we're likely perimenopausal, you know, perimenopause is such a tricky time, you know, because we're not fully in menopause yet, but our hormones are starting to change and and it really is a moving target. I'm so glad that you're having your levels checked regularly. Uh, So for those of you who don't know what NP thyroid is, it's a type of thyroid replacement that's a combination of the two thyroid hormones that we make in our own body called T4 and T3, T3 and T4. Um, It's an alternative to the you know, more traditionally prescribed uh, things like Synthroid or Levothyroxine, which are also fine. Those are just T4. So um, first of all, Erin, I actually like um, NP thyroid myself. If I were prescribing a thyroid product, that's one that I would choose because it does have the combination. And you mentioned your levels were low normal. I, I think that it's appropriate to treat thyroid when it's low normal. Um, and we've talked about this on this, on a podcast recently about the significance of the normal ranges for thyroid. And uh, basically the normal range for thyroid, if you look on the lab sheet, is, basically, is simply just saying that 95% of people fall within this range. It's it's huge. And so when you are below average and you're not feeling good, if you have low energy and other symptoms of low thyroid, I think it's appropriate to treat. So first of all, saying, I think that's a really good idea. And it's really tricky because the, the I think of hormones like salt when you're making soup, and I talk about this a lot, not that I make soup that much. I don't know why I think of soup, but <laughs> if you put in too much salt, it's not good. And too little salt is not good. It's got to be in a really fine range. So typically we would see hair loss associated with low thyroid. And so your provider 
you know, naturally thinking that this would make it better. And sometimes it doesn't, and it's super frustrating. So that being said, you know, it takes a lot of care and watching and following those levels to find the level that's right for you. And we see hair loss with thyroid that's too high for you. It may not be outside the 95th percentile, but it may be too high for what's ideal for you. And we also see it when thyroid's too low. So it's a very tricky balance. We also see hair loss in some families. I mean, sometimes it can be hereditary, which is not what we always want to hear. But sometimes we do have hair loss just as a function of aging, especially if it runs in the family. So it's very difficult to point to what's causing it. Um, you know, we want to make sure your thyroid's not too high or too low. One interesting thing that you said is that your hair loss got better when you got off of the thyroid replacement, right? Yes. Yeah. And so that, you know, sometimes we just have to do a little detective work. So if your thyroid was below average and you were put on thyroid medicine, and that sounds like a good idea, I would have done the same thing. And then you get off of it and your hair loss gets better. You may be someone, everyone's different. You may be someone who is very sensitive in that way and that the thyroid replacement was responsible for the hair loss. So, I mean, sometimes it's just common sense. Uh, so now you're on testosterone, which I'm a huge fan of because we know testosterone drops throughout our lives. So in our 40s, every single woman, you know, with very few exceptions, is going to have, well, for sure, you're going to have lower thyroid, excuse me, testosterone than you did when you were 25 or 30. And so replacing testosterone can be really great for energy. When we do more than one thing at a time, and, and we do this all the time, I do too, if you start on progesterone, thyroid, and testosterone, and you feel energetic, your energies improve. We don't really know which one of those made you feel better. All right. So it's a bit tricky. And, and we, I do the same thing. I mean, I'll start people on five things at once if it's indicated. Uh, but I'm, you know, one possibility is that you might feel better without the thyroid medicine since your hair seems to like that better. And it might be the testosterone that's giving you energy. Or that you could be on a lower dose of the thyroid medicine. So there's a lot of different possibilities. And uh, what I try to do in my practice is just really see each person as an individual. There's not one recipe that's going to work for everybody. Everyone is different. While some people might have great hair growth when they're on exactly what you're on, you might have a different experience. And we've just got to listen to the patient and then react appropriately and not be stuck in some cookie cutter recipe mold. So that being said, where you are now, you feel good, right? You just don't have as much hair as you want. Right. Yeah, which is really annoying. I mean, hair hair is so important. I mean, it's part of, it's one of the first things that we see. It's like our skin. It's, you know, it's really critical to feeling good about ourselves. So we want to make sure you have healthy hair. Um, From the small amount of information that you've given me, I might try just stopping the thyroid while you're on testosterone and progesterone and see if you feel equally good and if your hair responds well, because that might just be you. Um, right. And then if every, you know, let me throw out a worst case scenario thing. The good news is there's some really great things that we can do now for hair restoration or hair thinning as we get older. Uh, if you felt fantastic and everything else was perfect, uh, do you know about platelet-rich plasma? We've talked about it a bit on um, my podcast and Mm-hmm. So some people know a lot about it, and I don't want to 
you know, tell you about stuff you already know, but a lot of people might not know that platelet-rich plasma is, is your own blood. So if we're talking about using it for hair restoration or for causing uh, improvement in uh, thickening hair, if we're having hair thinning, we would simply draw your blood and then it's spun down. Um, we do it in our office. Uh, it gets rid of the red cells and the white cells. And what we're left with is plasma, very densely rich in platelets. And wherever you inject this, it will cause a cascade of uh, reactions to occur when the platelets aggregate. So we get growth factors and our own body's stem cells kick in. So if you inject it in your scalp, you grow new hair. And it really is uh, incredibly effective, um, along with some we can use compounded uh, medications like uh, finasteride and Propecia along with PRP, that's platelet-rich plasma, and just see you know, really great improvements for men and women who are suffering from thinning hair. So that being said, that that's an option that some people pursue if all else fails because hair loss is uh, alarming. I lost hair after my kids were born, like we do sometimes with hormonal change, and it really is uh, it's scary, right, to see handfuls of mm-hmm. hair. So definitely. Yeah. So we don't want that. So, you know, think about it. Talk to your provider about, you know, this it's it's a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle detective work project for every person because everybody is different. But if you feel like your hair was better when you weren't on thyroid, I don't think you can ignore that. You know, that that was that Mm -hmm. happened. Right. And if since then you've started on testosterone and have good energy, that's a really powerful piece of information too because the uh, same thing happened to me when I started on testosterone I just felt like I'd woken up from a dream or something like whoa I'm back mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes I'm, I'm glad you're doing that and testosterone uh, uh, so testosterone and then progesterone you mentioned because progesterone does drop as we get closer to menopause that is a really helpful way to help with sleep and moods what, what have you noticed with that I think much better sleep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. The first and caller that had a question. my mood, of course. <laughs> for sure. The first caller was talking about insomnia, and uh, that was a huge um, thing for me. Uh, that was the worst thing for me. And you're right. Like, if you don't sleep, your moods are going to be disrupted. And so all of these things are like a cascade. And it, not sleeping and being high stressed can be another independent thing that leads to hair loss. And so, I mean, it all kind of mills together. And it's sometimes difficult to know which is the thing. And we sort of have to eliminate one thing at a time. But doing exactly what you did, which is stopping one medication at a time and seeing if you see a difference is really wise. Just like we do with diet. Like if we've got stomach issues, we'll cut out gluten for two weeks and then we'll cut out dairy for two weeks. And we'll just systematically see if we can find the thing. So it sounds like maybe that might be a project to work on with your provider. And I'm so glad you feel better. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Cause yeah, me too. That is number one. <laughs> yeah. Having low energy. And what else did you experience with um, perimenopause? Did you have the weight gain and all the other stuff. <laughs> I haven't had that yet, but I'm a huge exerciser like you. And so it was just so troubling to like, not want to get up and exercise in the morning oh, yeah. and just not feel like doing it. Yeah. Um, just, just that was really, blah. that's been my biggest thing. Yay. Well, thank goodness. Yes, that, that's huge. Um, and then testosterone, if, you know, since you're, uh, sounds like you're very athletic, um, helps maintain muscle mass too, which is so critical to feeling good and it prevents osteoporosis and all 
all the things. Did you notice it helped your sex drive? A little bit, not a huge amount, but a little bit, which is good. Yeah, even a, any. <laughs> any a little good. boost is good. Right. Well, uh, I think your question is so important because it, it really illustrates how hormones are not just like cookie cutter for everybody gets the same thing, one size fits all. Everybody is different. And it takes some, you've really got to have a provider who's going to sit with you and hold your hand and listen to what you're saying and say, okay, let's do some detective work here and see if we can get these levels right for you. So I love the saying, they treat the patient, not the paper. I mean, just because the paper, I mean, the labs are helpful, don't get me wrong. But um, if a patient's saying something, we have to listen to it. Like if you started on something, you started having hair loss, you stopped it, the hair loss went away. It's hard to argue with, you know, and mm -hmm. um, yep. I think I'd want to definitely look at lowering your thyroid or maybe trying to stop it if I were, if I were advising you. I guess I kind of am in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for your question, Erin. And if you have another question, you can submit it to drsusan.com slash ask, and maybe I'll get to talk to you again. This has been fun. Thank, thank you, you so again. much. My pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, hormones. So but somebody told me this once and it really it resonated. Like you, if you throw a stone in a pond, it doesn't just sink to the bottom, right? It sets out this like ripple effect. So we can't change one hormone without it changing all the others in some way. Like we're not, um, you know, the idea that we can just take a medication and it's just going to directly target one thing. That's just not the way it goes. Like it, one thing changes, other things change. So we've got to recognize how all of these things play together and things don't always turn out like they do in the cookbook, right? We've got to see how things go for each person and then adjust from there. So I think we have another question from Morgan. Hi, Morgan. Are you on the phone? Hi. Hey, Morgan. Yeah. Hi. 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 Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for calling in. So where, where in the world are you located? I'm in Houston, Texas. Oh, you're in Houston too, like us. Well, welcome. So Thank what you. is Thank your question you. today? So my question was in regards to finding out if what are the options or, or chances of women in their 40s freezing their eggs, if there's mm -hmm. any possibility for that, what the age limit would be, and what their odds are and what all would go into it um, if there was possibilities for women in their 40s to freeze their eggs. That's a great question. So um, may I ask, Morgan, is this about yourself? Are you willing to yes. say? Okay. I'm, 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 40, I'm 42 years of mm -hmm. age, and it's just a, a bit of more recently when I was having a discussion with a, a mutual friend and talking about the freezing eggs option. And yep. um, I was like, you know, this is actually something I'd really like to look into. And then um, so you came about and then uh, got the, so I got the opportunity to be able to try ask this question. Yes. Instead of just trying to find bits and, and pieces on online. Um, yes, and that's it, so, so. It's such a minefield to look online. Lots of people are interested in egg freezing. So I'm going to, a little tiny bit of background. Some people might not know about this or even that it's a thing. So as you know, uh, Morgan, you can potentially, we can as women, uh, have our eggs removed. And I'll tell you about how that works in a second. And then frozen. Mm -hmm. And then they would be perpetually frozen at the age that they are when they're retrieved. And so 
if you're somebody who is not in a situation where it's um, possible to have children right now, you're not in a partnership, or maybe you've decided to delay childbearing for whatever reason, we could retrieve our eggs and then freeze them. And then as we get older chronologically ourselves, our eggs would stay at the age at which they were retrieved. So that's how that works. And the way they're retrieved um, is that our we're given a bunch of injections. It's in a an in vitro fertilization protocol. So you'd be in an infertility clinic, just like a patient having in vitro fertilization. We're given shots of hormones that stimulate our ovaries to produce lots of eggs. So as most of us know, normally every month we just produce one egg. You know, maybe once in a while we produce two. But with these protocols, we can produce a lot more eggs and then at the right time of the month, when the doctors checked with ultrasound to see that the eggs are ready, we go to sleep. And then uh, through a transvaginal ultrasound, um, a probe's put in the vagina and the eggs are taken out of those follicles using a little needle and a syringe, but we're asleep so we don't notice it. And then those eggs can be frozen. And that's how that works. And they can be frozen for indefinitely as far as we know. So that being said, the one factor that affects uh, the chance that frozen eggs will successfully be uh, fertilizable is the mother's age. We can't say with any reliability for like there's any cutoff age period because women's fertility is so different from one person to another. Some women are quite fertile at 42 and other women go through menopause at 35. So there's a huge variation. Uh, but what we do know is uh, starting at about age 30, uh, the viability or the chances that uh, frozen eggs will be fertilizable starts to drop off pretty dramatically, even starting at 30. Uh, so in a perfect world, we'd freeze out eggs when we're 25. But of course, we don't do that because we're not thinking about that. So women who freeze their eggs typically are in their late 30s or older because that's when it crosses our mind, right? I mean, prior to that, we don't really think <laughs> right. about it. I mean, not to, not right. to mention when when— you were 25, that wasn't even technology that was available. So right. in a perfect world, we'd freeze out eggs earlier. Yeah, but that's not the way it works out. Um, so different, um, if you were to go see an um, in vitro fertilization specialist, and you mentioned you're in Houston, we've got several very good centers in Houston that do um, cryopreservation of eggs. Um, I'll just uh, give a shout out to uh, Houston IVF and also Houston Fertility mm-hmm. Institute to um, – so Houston IVF and Houston Fertility, they're different, but great. Both do this. Um, they would see you, and they would treat you as an individual and do some testing to see where you are in the spectrum of how close you are to menopause and how viable your eggs are. So some of the things they might do is do an ultrasound uh, early on in your cycle to look at how many follicles there are in your ovaries, and that can be an indicator. Um, also some blood work, looking at some hormones that indicate how uh, what we call is our ovarian reserve, what our ovarian reserve is. Mm-hmm. Now, the not so good news is um, in most cases, and everyone's different, uh, but in most cases when we're 42, uh, they wouldn't give very good news. And this isn't right. to say that it would be for everyone, but in most cases when we're 42, an average person, and again, to say you may very well not be average, uh, they would probably tell you that uh, the chance of having um, eggs that were fertilizable is very, very low, like a number less than, say, 5%, a very Mm -hmm. low number. So they would suggest in most cases when we're 42 that we use a donor egg, and that would be, you know, harvesting an egg from a woman who is, say, 25, and then Mm -hmm. having it fertilized, and then we can 
carry the baby, the embryo can be put back in our uterus and we can carry the baby and be pregnant and it's our baby. It just wouldn't come from our own egg in most cases. Um, and because uh, cryopreservation of eggs, is, is it's a it's not easy. I mean, you got to get shots. You've got to have a procedure to get them out. You've got to pay a lot of, you know, it's not inexpensive. I mean, we're talking uh, ten to $15,000 to even try it. Um, if it's right. very likely not going to be successful, most centers would advise against it because they, you know, ethically want to make sure they're giving you the best information. Um, but right. it's tough, right? Because we, you know, we, I, when I, I went through menopause at 46 and I didn't want any more children, but I didn't also want that choice to be taken away. I wanted right. to, you know, I wanted to decide on my own. I didn't want to be told you can't have more children. No, nobody, right. it's a, there's a lot of grief around that. Um, and I, of course, I don't know if that's the case for you, but it is, uh, time is of the essence, let's just say, because the difference between 42 right. and 43 is, I mean, it goes down a very, very rapid pace. Right. So if you have any desire to look into this, I would go tomorrow. Um, because oh, it, I mean, okay. it really is something that, and if, if we wait and you might choose to wait, if we wait, the decision will be made for us and that's okay. Sometimes when I don't know what to do, I just right. wait and <laughs> the decision's made for me. Exactly. Um, but the fact is with fertility, if we wait, the decision will be made for us and, and you know, that is what it is. And that, that's, I've found that's not a bad decision-making, uh, way to do things sometimes. Um, right. But yeah, how does that feel to you to hear that information? Um, it's, it's definitely helpful. Um, I, for sure, I mean, like you said, the, rea- the reality of it is, of course, the probability is much lesser yeah. uh, being at this age. But, you know, of course, you'd still just want to see what your options are. If it's just making a, a more informed decision going in. Uh, and of course, because like you said, it's such a huge investment. I guess also, so would they be able to do like a fertility test? Like, is that what mm-hmm. you said? Like, looking at yeah. where you are on the spectrum? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So that would be the first step, like, immediately um, with things like ultrasound, as you look at your, mm-hmm. actually physically look at your ovaries with ultrasound. And then there are certain blood tests that we do. Uh, there's a hormone called AMH or anti-malarian hormone, as well as uh, mm-hmm. one called follicle-stimulating hormone that can help tell where you are. And then just lots of data about other women exactly your age. And when we're 42, we, we say... 42 in how many months? Because it makes a difference if you're 42 right. in one month or 42 in 11 months. And and oh, to, yeah. as you said, to just give you the most informed information so you can make a good decision. So I think it's really important, especially around something like this that can feel so, you know, it's every, anything that you can do so that in the future you know that you got all the information and you did everything you could, I think is really important exactly. for your future right mental health and just sort of sense of well-being so you don't have regrets. Uh, so go exactly. find out. Go go get the information. Yeah. And yeah. chances so are the, it, it oh, might be something right. like what I said, but it might not because everyone's different. Right. Yeah. Right. And so for the fertility test, does, does that have to be done at IVF centers mm-hmm. or um, yeah. the regular gyno? Okay. okay. Yeah. So uh, just in the essence of time, um, if you certainly if you went to your regular gynecologist, they could do some of those blood tests. And then you'd wait for them okay. to come back, and then they'd send you to the doc- IVF doctor. So because time is of the essence, I would go straight yeah. there and cut out the middleman, so to speak. 
even gotcha. though as a gynecologist, I've been the middleman. <laughs> it, it takes, it's just waiting for another appointment. I mean, there's no question that of you're going to end up at the IVF center. So I would just say, go straight there, call them today, get an appointment and get the information and don't waste any precious time unless right. you choose to, you might choose, that might be a, sometimes that's a coping strategy too. Nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. I, I, I've done that lots of times. <laughs> um, but if you really want to get all the information, um, Houston Fertility Institute or Houston IVF in Houston, since that's where you said that you are, fantastic. Give them a call. They've got locations all over town and they'll give you all the information so that you can make an informed decision. And I hope right. whatever comes out of that is uh, m- that you have peace with and that that gets you the information right. that you need. For sure. Well, great. That That's really helpful. I really appreciate the info. Well, thanks for the question, Morgan. And if you have another question, we've mentioned a couple of times, uh, Dr. Susan, Dr. Susan slash ask, and maybe we'll get to talk to you again. You can call and tell us how everything went. Great. Will do. Thank you so much. And you have a good one. You too. Thanks for calling. So we're coming to the end of our first Ask Dr. Susan Live show. Um, you've heard how to ask a question a few times. Um, I think this will be really fun. I hope that um, you agree. Yeah, hearing questions from real people is just different than seeing it in writing. You know, we can be present and actually interact woman to woman. So uh, we'll be doing this again soon. Uh, we'll send out a message about when this show is going to be repeated. So you can see it here on YouTube. Uh, the audio portion will also be on my podcast, which is Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan. And we'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm.